Hello and welcome everyone to Fall In. We are sure, sure happy to be here tonight as we have some more campfire stories, kind of a part two here for Alfonso Nixon or Big Al or uh, even First Sergeant. <laughs> I know we, uh, we've already gotten into that before uh, with Tammy in one of our previous episodes, but glad to have you back. I know uh, can't wait to talk to some more about you know your service career and some of the things that mean a lot to you, Big Al. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when you say first sergeant and Big Al, and and you know, I've been a lot of things to a lot of people. So yeah, I, I'll answer about anything to include either you know some uncommon names. You mean like people that uh, maybe didn't like you quite as much? Because I mean, it seemed like yeah. people, people liked you quite a bit out there. You know, uh, I mean, hearing the stories from Chad and Daryl. But that's just Chad and Daryl. I mean, for every two, there's another 500 that probably will tell a different story. So, anyway, I, I'm not lost. That's not lost on me. I understand it. Although I'm, I've made a lot of impacts to a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. So I, I can embrace that role. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, sounds like you were a big part, and a lot of those, uh, you know, your Joes, I guess you could say, uh, lives. You know, tell us some some stories about. Maybe how you and you know maybe not get specific on who, but like you can kind of tell, you know, some some stories about you know you having to to deal with you know kind of being a you know uh, kind of in charge and things like that, and and, and you know having to kind of lead these guys. I mean, because not just just being in charge is not all of it, and of course, I mean that's that's kind of a power trip kind of way to say it. But like you actually led these guys. Leadership is not about being in charge; it's, it's about being an example, right? Yeah, and I used to I used to tell my guys all the time it's it's called leadership, not drafting. You know, drafting while effective in in uh, cup racing doesn't do any good when it comes to leadership because leadership you actually have to be out front and and sometimes that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for a lot of people, uh, and then sometimes circumstances cause uh, people to to step up and and be leaders even when they didn't expect to. Uh, but it's not about the stories because there's there's for every incident there's a hundred stories but I, I could just simply say that that i'll learn more about leadership from bad leaders than i did from good leaders well you kind of learned what not to do in a way absolutely or or what not doing something could lead to because sometimes you know the inability or the inactivity of leadership is what causes the greatest hurt. If, if soldiers have needs and they're not being taken care of, sometimes that, that, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. You know, you just gotta, it's just like your animals, man. And I hate to, I hate to equate it that way, but, but if you look at a dog, uh, on the street, that's being taken care of, that's America. In America, we hold our animals in higher regard than we do humanity in a lot of instances. But in other countries, it's not like that. So if, if you see people with healthy animals that are taken care of, then you know that you're in America. Uh, even other countries' uh, military, they, they don't treat their, they treat their soldiers worse than dogs. So I wasn't using that as a, as a, a negative connotation. I was just using it, you know, just to say that, look, you, you have to take care of everybody, everything from the, all the way down from the, from the jack in the motor pool to the jack that's, that's in the helicopter. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, well, we've had some comments, you know, that, uh, of civilian kind of people that have literally no clue a lot of times what we're talking about. Could you maybe be a little more specific? What I'm saying is, so I had, so we were in Iraq and we had John Deere Gators, and everybody knows John Deere, and everybody understands what a John Deere Gator is. They they come in two different versions, it's like a side like, by side. Yes, yeah, side by side UTV, uh, very low. Uh, profile but we we had a, a series of these that's what we used in and around the flight line but we're in iraq and and the commander says that that it is easier at this juncture to replace a crew chief than it is to replace a john deere gator and, and our and crew that, chief just to kind of specify on that that's actually a door gunner essentially right well you know there are a lot more than just door gunners i mean th these guys they perform a myriad of uh inspections as well as in-flight actions and activities and i don't ever want to to put down anybody's job or what they do i don't want to make it demeaning uh, uh so i'm just gonna say uh i was just quoting him you know at, at this juncture it's easier to replace a crew chief than it is to replace that that john deere gator so like so, a, um, a physical object you know like an actual tool out there is it's easier to replace the actual well, person than it is the actual vehicle and when we're in the military you know we have to look at everything as an asset and that's another reason why we're doing this podcast because as people separate or the higher up you go you understand how impersonal it is because then it's literally it's about assets it's about like a number that's absolutely and we don't we don't we don't expect that when we go into the military you know, we want everybody to love us like our mother does. That that's just what every being wants. You know, you want a you want a a warm hug and a kind heart. Uh, but in the military, when it gets down to brass tacks, you're you're an asset. You're a number. Uh, I had a commander tell me uh, that my life was a calculated loss, and he could perform his mission without it. And I'm like, whoa, what? Yeah, that's said, pretty. That's pretty damn messed up. I'll tell you that. Well, that's when it really. I mean, that's when it really kind of hit me that I was just a number. I mean, I had a commander telling me that I was a calculated loss. Um, I don't think you're a calculated loss, Big Al. I mean, the personality you bring to the table, you can't lose, Big Al. I mean, this world's better for having you know you in this world. <laughs> Well, hey, man, I appreciate that. I'm just kind of letting you know that that was a conversation that occurred. I bet and that was kind of shocking, though, to hear something like that. Yeah, it really was. Uh, what rank was this guy? I mean, you don't have to get specific, you know, but like, you know, he was higher up and just kind of the way he looked on it, it was like you, you really are just a number. But when you're lower down in the ranks, it gets a little more personal, you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I remember – because I'm just going to transition from that question and people are going to love how I do this. But uh, <laughs> even as a, as a first sergeant, I would, I would, the only thing I could advise the commander is you don't need to know these guys. You don't need to know their names. You don't need to know how many kids they got. You don't need to know, you know, what his financial status is. You just need to know how many you have available to accomplish the mission. Because if, if it gets down from a commander's perspective where you're, deciding someone's fate or who goes on this mission based on, you know, well, that guy's got two kids and that guy's got, you know, no kids. 
then then you've already lost the you already lost the point of what you're there to do. And that's not really fair in a lot of ways either, just considering I mean, you know, if a person doesn't have kids, whether they do or not, I mean, I get that yeah, that that will affect more lives, but like in a lot of ways it's still kind of not fair like oh the single guy just gets sent out there because he no one's gonna miss him that's sad really yeah and that's not the way we do business that's leadership uh i I remember well i won't remember let's just have a conversation but as it comes up just like now we're coming up to the time of year where it's the holidays and you got single soldiers that are living in the barracks i can only speak to the time that i was in but i know they're still there now today and these guys, I was one of these guys, you know, well, the single soldiers aren't going on leave. They're going to be in the barracks over the holidays. And then you'll have some folks in this. I mean, I'm just going to say you have some folks that'll say, well, hey, look, let the single guy pull that duty on Thanksgiving Day so that that married guy can be home with his family. You see what I'm saying? Because the single soldier, he's going to be doing up and hanging out in the barracks anyway. And I'm just I, I it's. For the people in this that listen to this podcast that aren't in the military, I want them to understand, you know, that's just an easy way to, to form a thought. But that's just not what we do in the military. Imagine that, though, on the holidays. I bet it's even more dangerous, though, just considering, you know, those guys are at home and a single guy's still there. And, and it, you know, a lot of times I'm, I'm sure that they feel like, oh, the military's going to be weak on the holidays. That might be a, an opportunity, a time to attack. And I've been attacked over the holidays. Um, man, it's just, as, as we start to get into these topics on this podcast, you know, you, you thrown me a couple of balls there. And they were really softballs, but then, you know, it, it sends me back to the whole purpose of this thing. And, and the whole purpose of this whole podcast is to talk about uncomfortable issues, is to talk about the issues that are actually making headlines or not making headlines, you know what I mean? But but I don't mind being uncomfortable. So one of the one of the things that we're talking about in this is, you know, the holidays. And the holidays are hard on Joe's because when you leave home, everybody has in their own mind, everybody has their family traditions or whatever. And and I remember I was uh, my first embarkations were were during the Christmas holidays because. You know, that's just the way it kind of lined up. And so thinking about it through my 20-year career, how many Christmases I spent at home versus away versus, you know, holidays with duty and otherwise, man. And, yeah, it could, it's a, it definitely makes a difference because people put so much stock on you know, on those, those events. Yeah, I mean, especially when, you know, even the Joes that have kids, I know we were kind of, you know, sympathizing with the Joes that don't, but I mean, the Joes that do have kids, if they don't get to spend time, you know, and miss those precious memories, I mean, imagine how hard that's got to be to grow up, you know, for that, for that child, even to grow up to that, you know, dad's not always there or even mom's not always there. All right. So you're going to pull the first argument out of me. And this is what I tell my guys, make the time that you have count. Don't sit back. I mean, look, I guarantee you, that no matter where you're at today, you're probably not going to be there tomorrow. And I don't care if you're in the military, if you're retired, or if you're a civilian. So you have to make today count. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Because when you're gone, I mean, you're gone. 
whether that's dead or deployed, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. it kills me that so many of these guys had so much time at home, that, but they were just wasting that time. Does that make sense? They're at home, but their kids are in the other room or the wife's over there. You know, they're at home, but they're not involved. They're not engaged. Well, truly, they, they're not home, though. I mean, we've talked about that and kind of covered it in other, you know, episodes to where, you know, even if you're out in the, you know, you're out in deployment or you're back home, you're still in deployment technically kind of in your mind. You know what I mean? It's like a lot of guys, they're out there or they're at home, but they're thinking, hey, my my guys, my brothers are over there fighting, and I'm at home, and I'm not there to help them. You know what I mean? We've kind of talked about that before. Yeah, there imagine is. Imagine how that takes you away from your family a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a whole different uh, podcast. But yeah, you're right. I was just speaking on the physical presence of the body, mm-hmm. meaning yeah. that that I can guarantee you that if you were because remember I spent all of my time in the military outside of the time that I spent in school, I spent in, in a combat unit, combat, of uh, deployable units, meaning, you know, the, uh, the, the divisions, I was in the 101st and the 160th, uh, the majority of my career. That's where I, so fighting units. So I'm just speaking in the realm that when yeah. you, have the opportunity to go to the kids game, go to the kids game because next week you might not have that opportunity. And, yeah. and to try to correlate that to what the civilians that are listening to this podcast understand is no one's promised tomorrow. So you got to make the day count. I mean, you, you just, you have to be engaged. You can't, it's just more than being present. You have to be engaged. No, I and that's kind of, and that's a perfect segue into fall in. That's why we're doing this. I mean, because for all of those guys who have served, uh, this is the way of saying, hey, fall in, man. Because the formation that, that we need you to kind of to to become a part of now is what's going on in your area. I mean, whether that be making your presence seen at schools, whether that means uh, going down to your local VFW, I mean, there's so many areas right now where our leadership is needed in, in the community. You know, we served one time before, but now it's time for us to, to serve again. So that's the reason why we're doing this fall in thing. And and with that, you know, each one is going to help one. So that way, if, if we got 10 people that already have got their disability stuff done, then, you know, the goal will be to, to get each each one of those 10 to bring 10 more. Does that make sense? We got to engage our veterans. Yeah, now. Grassroots in a lot of ways too. I mean, cause like, you know, the word, yeah, yeah, we've got to get involved because there's so many issues that are affect veterans and veterans lives that if we're not, if the veterans aren't going to be the ones that are going out there talking about it, then they're just going to be talked about. And, and if you're being talked about, that means you're not a part of the conversation. So we need to get veterans involved in the conversation, and and we need to be the ones that are actually managing our own talking points, if you will. So that's why fall in is is so near and dear to me, and and it's taken us a long time to get to this point. But I think if people can stick around here, they're gonna they're gonna not only be entertained, but they're gonna be informed. Just it's gonna be a little bit before we, you know you get to see old you know Big Al act a fool, but because I'm just trying <laughs> we already to see that anyway. That's all right. 
Just tune into any uh, broadcast on iRacing. <laughs> I'm yeah, joking I mean, around. I know you can joke around as much as you want to because you understand that, that I know where you live. <laughs> oh, um, but kind of on another note, I mean, I know you said you want to get all these veterans involved and things like that. I think that also need to mobilize the civilian population. A lot of them just do not know what really is going on. And the things we talk about here are just so eye-opening. Yeah, and that's another th- reason why we're gonna, we, we've got the website that we're developing. We're going to have the Facebook page. You know, uh, we're going to have the YouTube channel. And it's going to also be a way where it's going to be an interactive dialogue where civilians can actually send us questions, and you and I primarily will be sitting there, and we'll, and we'll talk about these issues. And, and we want people to engage in, and, and throw us some hardballs. Give us some things that you would like to talk about, or you would like us to talk about. So as this goes forward, and we're gonna we're gonna be bringing in different veterans that we're gonna talk to from both the Army, the Navy, the Marines, and even the Coast Guard. Uh, so if you know any of those people that are out there that have anything going on, charitable or otherwise, uh, that they would like to to get them on the podcast, we'd love to sit down with them around the campfire. And, uh, and, and have a good conversation because this, like I said, it's got to be entertaining as well as informative, Brian. For sure. But back to you. I mean, we still have a lot of time. We can still talk about, I mean, the, the, the floor is open, man. I mean, tell us some stories that you think are entertaining or just have some type of emotional development for yourself while you were in the military. You're going to have to ask me a little bit more specific than that. I mean – I did ask, ask him specific ask, questions yeah, earlier. Yeah. I said, you know, okay. hey, what kind of things well, did you have to deal with with leading other, you know, soldiers, you know, trying to lead them? Like anything that, like, just that comes to mind, you know, that you you affected a soldier's life by be, be, being a, you know, role model, a leader for him or her. All right. So, so I got, I got a story. Uh, I was a combat skills instructor in 160th, and this was circa. 97 98 and uh we had this kid that was he hadn't showed up to work uh for lack of a better term uh he was awol oh wow so he literally yeah he was uh you know ran away yeah but i I, but i knew he hadn't gone far um but you know, yet he wasn't, he wasn't coming to work. And this was during the holidays. And so the kid, he finally comes in and, and, you know, we're asking him the tough questions like, Hey, what's, what's going on. And so he gets, he gets down to the point and he says that, um, he is on his way to work every day, but he doesn't have insurance. And so he can't get in the gate. So he turns around and he goes home. And then it starts to dawn on him just that Christmas is coming and he doesn't have anything for his, for his kids, even for Christmas, because he doesn't even have money to drive in. And, uh, so of course, after a period of, of peeling back the onion, if you will, we get this story from this guy and I'm like, uh, okay. No, I know what happened. I remember what happened. We hadn't heard from him. So I was home and I got, you know, we, we figured out where he lived and it went by, couldn't see him, couldn't find anybody, but the neighbor, you know, said, Hey, look, if you see this guy, give me a call. 
Well, the neighbor gives me a call because this was in the, in the early nineties. And so I can't get in contact with anybody that I, any of my fellow uh, cadre, but my neighbor, who's an E5, he, he gets in the truck with me and we roll over to this kid's house. And, and I remember we went in there and I got him at home and that's when he broke down and told me the story about not having money for his kids and for Christmas and, and spending the money in the gas and not feeling like he was getting any help. And I remember uh, me and, and Avery Honeycutt, that was his name, Sergeant Honeycutt, who wasn't even in the same unit as I. It touched him so much that he went and and got gifts from, you know, he bought gifts himself and, and him and his wife put together to try to get this kid a decent Christmas uh, because the holidays were going on. I took it back to work. We all, everyone, it's the holidays, man. And, you know, you work in the military, you're not millionaires, man. At this point, I was an E5, so it was everything that I could do to make sure that my own kids having a Christmas. And I remember, Damn. and I remember, uh, I mean, little AJ was, was, he's between four and five. And, uh, I, and I explained to him that, that's Hey, when Christmas misses an important time. That's for sure. And I remember I explained it to him like, Hey, some kids not going to have Christmas. You know, maybe you think you could, you know, share some of your gifts. And, and he was like, you know, picked the gifts he hadn't even seen, and and uh, we made it so that this kid could have a Christmas. You, you understand what I'm saying? We oh, delivered, yeah. we delivered Christmas to this kid, not a, not just in the form of gifts, but we got gifts for him, we got gifts for his wife, and we got gifts for his kids, and we got them food. We took care of them so they wouldn't have to worry about anything for the holidays. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that is such a inspirational story. I mean, I bet he. You know, had had a lot of pep in his step when he came back to, you know, started working and stuff like that. I mean, man, you know, didn't have insurance on his car, and that's crazy. I mean, you know, I thought, I mean, I know the Army, you know, don't they provide, like, lodgings and things like, like that? I mean, there had to be much, something to the story more than that, you know, because, I mean, how, what was all the money going to? I, mean, I, know it's not, I know you're not, like, rich or anything like that, you know, working in the Army. So they didn't provide him with, like, yeah, lodging? Yeah, yeah, just like your mother provides you a lodging now, you, you know, you get a, uh, you enter into an agreement with your landlord uh, for X amount of money that you pay a month. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, that's normal. But I, I'm just saying that yeah, usually that when you think about happens. it, like you said, a single or, you know, even a, a, a Joe with a family, I mean, you you always hear as a civilian that, like, there, there's housing for military personnel. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, yeah. He absolutely could have got his name on the list and, and qualified for own post housing, but you know he was just getting to the base, and that is probably one of the times where I live with my mom. I don't live with my mom. <laughs> I don't. I, well, okay, of course you don't. But you know how this kid repaid us? How's that? I mean, that is such a great story. Yeah, he didn't show up on on the. Oh second. my goodness! True you story. You had to be some Take kind of up. damn mad. I bet. I bet both you and that you know other guy that helped. You know what? That was early on in my career, so I would say at that point I was very impressionable, and and at that point I might have been disappointed. But as the years go by, you see stuff like that. It becomes, I mean, so that kids Christmas, Christmas. Yeah, and and that's just it, man. You spend your whole life giving, and 
not everybody that serves the military is honorable. I'll just say that, you know, um, it is what it is. See, I just feel like there must have been something else to the story, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, too. But, I mean, hey, you guys did the right thing. You you had his back, and that's what matters. You know what I mean? You guys did, even if you didn't get anything for it, you still, you know, you did it out of the goodness of your heart. And so, I mean, you know, a lot of people think the military probably takes that heart out of you, but it doesn't sound like it. No, above and beyond. I mean, we did we did for that guy, and that's what that's how he repaid us. And I remember telling him that when we finally did get him, because we sent him home. Uh, you know, it, we we're gonna do the paperwork at that point, uh, guy. We went way above and beyond what was expected, and then that's just how you even. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, definitely not a story with as much of a happy ending, but still a happy ending for the kid, I think. I think that's the biggest win that you guys should feel proud of. You know what I mean? Yeah, I spent – I mean, I spent all of my time at Fort Campbell except for, you know, the first 10 months I was at drum. I was just a – I was a kid. I didn't know – I didn't know anything then. And then I went to Germany for two years. And after that, I came to Campbell. And uh, I was in the 160 of Spec Ops – and it was, uh, man, it was an awesome time. It was a different time. Can't tell many stories about that place, but. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm sure Germans, though, I mean, it, it, I've heard many good stories, you know, to, to, from the military, you know, the few military people I know that they spent time in Germany. They, they, they seem like they love Americans over there. I can't speak on behalf of the Germans. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess I am generalizing in a lot of ways, but I have heard that before. I'm just saying, you know. Uh, but I know before we, we kind of got this thing started here tonight, uh, you, you were mentioning that you had all kinds of achievements, like a bronze star. Like, can you walk us through, like, how you earn those things? Yeah, off the backs of my soldiers. I mean, that's the that's the, the quick, fast, and short way to say it. Um well, you I know, just, we're not looking for the quick, fast, and short way to say it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, uh, I had the, I had the pleasure and privilege of serving our country in uh, a lot of different capacities uh, through several conflicts, and by the grace of God, um, I never lost a soldier, anybody that I was responsible for in any of those conflicts, and. And I, I served honorably, and so therefore I was rewarded uh, accordingly. You know, a lot of well, it, no, I it, know last time in part one we talked about it, you said you had lost eight guys. Those they weren't under your command. Oh no, as a matter of, no, God no, man. There was uh, those none of those guys that perished were in my command. They were all in my, we're all in the same company. Um, so just, just guys you knew that you lost, had spent a lot of time with. Yeah, we lost an aircraft. Uh, we had three aircraft oh, man. in the Philippines, and uh, one of those aircraft uh, ultimately ended up crashing. How and did it was, crash? I mean, the Philippines? I mean, that, that is that an active war zone type of area? <laughs> See, man, there you go, asking questions again. Well, that's what uh, I'm here for, ain't it? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm no. trying to learn. We were involved in a mission uh, to rescue. This was I was in the 160th at the time, and we were in E Company 160th, and we had formed up at Campbell and made our way to Korea, 
And then we found ourselves in the Philippines uh, aiding India in assisting the rescuing of a uh, American missionary couple okay. uh, that, that had been captured by the Abu Sayyaf who had uh, ties to Al Qaeda. And so this was during OEF. This was right after 9-11. And uh, we entered into the Philippines uh, kind of under the cover of darkness. But what vehicles in- were y'all using? Uh, we were using uh, the MH-47 Echo. Using uh, spec- Can you spec- describe that? Uh, yeah, what kind of weapon? What, what is that? It's a, it's a, it's a Chinook. That's a special variant okay. of the Chinook. It's a helicopter. Wow, that's that's a two rotor, you know, or the big one, you know. Yes, all the tandem. Yeah, that's right, baby. Heavy lift. Yeah, that's those uh, things are crazy. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, so we kind of got the call to to haul about everything that you could imagine from, you know, Dr. Peppers to mail to to people. And uh, as a result of that, one of our runs uh, to and from the island, because the Philippines is uh, full of islands, uh, one of our aircraft subsequently, you know, it ended up crashing and it uh, killed all 10 on board, eight of which were members of the 160th and two of which were uh, members of the Air Force. They were PJs. Oh, dang. Um, so they crashed. Like, could you give us any information on how they crashed? Like, was it because of fire? Like, uh, you know, uh, actual, you know, small arms fire? What, what, what caused them to crash? Well, about as much as I want to get into it, uh, it was just the uh, aircraft became spatially disoriented uh, in, in poor loom. Uh, low visibility. Oh, probably bad fog or something. Yeah. Smoke on the water, right? I'll tell you what. I mean, I hate to hate to derail a little bit, but, you know, me and you, on our off time, a lot of times we, we, we do a lot of flight simulator stuff like that. And I'll tell you what, it does get pretty hard to fly in some fog. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, the, the cool part about that is you can respawn. And that's, that's yeah, one yeah, of the Yeah, you can do that for those guys that lost their lives, yeah. Yeah, right. And that's the reason, uh, you know, watch this transition. That's the reason why uh, I am so big on simulations for for veterans, because, you know, it can get them in a virtual environment. And, you know, that way they don't have to worry about the anxiety of being around a crowd of people. It can be controlled. And it's a great way to actually help uh, with things like PTSD. See, I'm wondering, you know, because I remember I kind of threw you a hardball last time whenever we were talking about, uh, you know, shooters and stuff for PTSD. But, like, if, if maybe you were in a situation where you had flown an aircraft or something like that and had a really close call or, you know, or being under fire, you know, could that trigger something being in a flight simulator environment? I don't know, man. It just depends. I, I, I... Everyone's situation is different, and that's the that's the that's the thing about PTSD yeah. that people have to understand that no two people are gonna view the same situation the same. You know what I mean? They're gonna they're gonna have direct different reactions to it, and that's why PTSD is such a such a beast to to cope with. But we just want people to know, especially our veterans that are out there. You know, you're not the only one that's dealing with it. And, and that's why I appreciate you asking me the tough questions, man. And 
I even strayed away from them a lot tonight. But as we as we roll on to, through this journey together, you know, a lot of this stuff that we're talking about is going to come to light. I just don't, you know, it, it might not be time yet, but, you know, trying to keep this entertaining and informative. Well, it's not him. Right. It, it's not informative if you don't give me the facts. <laughs> we just I, I understand you you know you're afraid to talk about some of these things. I get it. I definitely get it. I mean, well, what, I do you, what do you what are, what are you wanting that I'm not giving you? I guess would be the No, I mean question. you've definitely gave given me a lot. I've just seen it, you know, I know that you do sound reserved. Like you're not wanting to to go into things a little bit deeper. And you know, you of course I don't want you to, you know, of course give us names or anything like that. But, well, uh, you know, I mean, you, you just talk about maybe I if you don't want to, it's a, it's completely fine. But, like, talk about one of the times you actually maybe were under fire or something like that. You know, the uh, time you were really scared. <laughs> uh, nope, never, never came under uh, fire, indirect fire. Uh, but I laughed yeah, about yeah. that because you said, tell me about one of the times that you were scared. And the reason why that's funny is because, like, what the, what is fear? You know what I mean? I mean, even maybe not even fear for your, your own safety, but fear for others. I'm, I'm sure you dealt with that. I mean, considering you had to probably get the call that, hey, these this, this uh, aircraft didn't make it. All these guys, they're gone. Oh, man. And that you know and the reason why i don't want to talk when you say stuff like that is and i want i want our listeners to understand it has nothing to do with me it has everything to do with the family members of, of the deceased because every story that i could tell you about that there are still survivors out there that are trying to do just that and and maybe if they were telling their version of the story, I'd feel a little better about it. But until I've heard their version of the story, you know, I, I don't, I, I guess I'm kind of tripped up about telling mine, you know, um, not like nine 11 of, uh, seven. Um, I'm coaching my son's, uh, football team. Uh, he's in eighth grade at the time. We're in the, we're in between deployments. Uh, I'm coaching defensive line, and uh, the linebackers. And practice is over. I go back to my truck. I get my phone, and I'll drop his name, uh, Rob Benino, uh, who was my boss at the time, PC officer. Uh, uh, I had a missed call from him. Rob never called me after work, so I call him back, and he says, "Hey, uh, what's the procedure for uh, if an aircraft, you know, doesn't doesn't show up?" And I'm like, "Well, well, what do you mean? Well, say we, you know, say we got an aircraft that doesn't end up where it's supposed to be. You know, you, you know what we're supposed to do about all of that, right?" And I'm like, "But tell me what you're saying." And he's like, "We had a flight of three. And one of the aircraft hasn't been heard from. And I was like, okay, so we have to sequester the records for the aircraft, uh, blah, blah, blah. This is a whole sequence of events. But, yeah, we're, we're tracking. We're, we're compliant. So I go home and uh, 
get the get the sun, get you know, time to get a shower, time to get a time to get you know, get your homework done. Let's get ready to get in the bed. I go down to the basement and uh I I, I call Rob and I said, Hey, uh I mean, I'm getting ready to have a toddy. You know, I'm getting ready to have myself a nightcap because been going at it since early in the morning and here it is it's about eight thirty nine o'clock at night you know i want to get myself a little jack on the rocks and then go to go off to nighty night and uh he said hey uh uh we're at work don't worry about it uh don't need you sergeant called the guy's name came in and uh we got the records pulled they've been sequestered and uh we're gonna be sending people out for recovery and i'm like what so then I get another phone call that says, hey, I'm on my way to Alabama. Uh, we had an aircraft that crashed and it killed three of our guys. We, you know, we lost a bird and we lost uh, a captain, a W-3 and, a, and an E-5. Uh, lost a flight crew over not too far from where I live right now. You know what I mean? And so things like that happen and, and, and that's not the In only crash. Yeah, the, the crash occurred in Alabama, yeah. Wow. I thought you were kind of talking about the same story about in the Philippines, but no, so this, so this was something you were at home in Alabama and somebody no, just was, called you. No, 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 no. I was I was in the Army at, at Fort Campbell. This was September 11th of 07. Mm-hmm. This was a separate crash. Wow. So that's what I was telling you. It's, it's, it's complicated and complex because when these things occur – I mean, there's there's still survivors that are out there, so you don't want to ever get too much into the detail of the story because you don't. I don't know what everybody else has heard or what they know, you know. So I could tell you stories that I know what people know. That's a lot different, you know what I mean. But also, I'm very cognizant of the fact that that these guys left families behind. Their their children are now adults if you think about it, you know? And so here it is where this, this guy might have kids that don't know me from a can of paint, but yet they're talking, I'm talking about the day his dad died. You get it? So I, I, I definitely try to be sensitive to those issues. No, I definitely, I, I can understand that for sure. Yeah. I mean, so when, you, so when you ask me questions, it's not that I, that I'm cowering away uh, from, from anything. It, it's just that, the first thing that goes into my mind is like those that are still here. Mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, cousins, uncles, kids. Right? No, I mean, I get it for sure. 100%. I mean, just trying to. Get you, get you to tell me some stories and then, you know, things like that, and, you know, kind of share your experience. Well, and I get and, it that you don't want to talk well, about some be, of those things. And the biggest thing is too, man, while I was, while I was in the army having fun, you know, the biggest things that I ever took away is that, you know, I was a night stalker and, and we've got a creed. And in that creed, it even says that secrecy is a way of life for my only true allies, the night and the element of surprise, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so I'm from that era before we put everything on social media. I'm from that very cryptic era. And the, and the guys that we're going to be talking to, you know, they, they grew up in that same era as I did. Not too many of them 
were just from that social media flashbang where, you know, you put everything on Facebook. A lot of the people that we're going to be talking to uh, in these interviews even are guys that, that are that are pre that. And so we're going to be tearing down walls, man. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this because, you know, I have barricades as well that, that you know, that's why I want you to ask those questions. I'm just trying to justify the reason why I might be a little skeptical with answering. I say, if you want to bust those walls down, you got to start sometime. And, you know, this is what part two is about, Big Al. Well, yeah, but I got a therapist as well, and, and her name isn't Brian Britt. <laughs> that was a joke. Was that funny? That wasn't funny, was it? I mean, it's not really that. It actually is pretty funny just considering, you know, knowing me. I'm not the picture of mental health my damn self. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's, that's. I mean, that's kind of why we. But, I mean, I just still do. feel like, why are we here? We got to we gotta get into the nitty-gritty, man. I mean, you've already you've given us some good shit, but we got to get further into it. Okay. Well, well what do you want to know? I mean, I asked you before, you know, you earned those bronze stars. How'd you earn them? You said it was on the back of the guys that were running underneath you. I mean, is that, is that really what what happened? Like, you know, tell us a little about some of them stories of how those guys did earn you that bronze stars, possibly. Uh, okay. Um, let's say the uh, we were in Iraq. This would have been, I believe, five to six. I believe, 2005, yeah, 2006? I believe it was 2005, 2006, and we were in Balad. And, uh, Balad, Afghanistan? Balad. Or? Uh, this is Iraq. Iraq, okay. And uh, IEDs at the time were just, they were a big problem and I was a senior aviation officer uh, NCO at the time and uh, we had our battalion task force had a total of 38 Blackhawks we had 30 from the unit itself three companies 10 aggregate per company plus eight assigned to us from the Kentucky National Guard and our mission was we had it over the country of Iraq our expert leaders came up with like the five Olympic rings. And so if you put these rings over Iraq, each one of those was a ring route for a helicopter and they overlap. So you can move from one end of the country to the other without having to get in a car, especially for moving personnel, uh, without having to get in a vehicle and get on the road and risk being blown up by IEDs. And so, I mean, my guys uh, busted their ass every night. We worked every night, uh, and I think we broke a lot of aviation records, and we never dropped a mission. So we made sure that we had enough ready aircraft uh, for the next morning to meet all of those ring route missions, and that was a that was a pretty big deal. I mean, we flew uh, in excess of twenty five thousand hours uh, during our time period in Iraq. Wow, and you know. Even though IEDs were the main concern, I mean, RPGs probably had to be a concern too. I mean, because wouldn't, wouldn't they try to shoot down these aircrafts, or was those those ring routes safe? 
No, I, nothing Nothing was safe, especially during that time period. There were numerous aircraft that did actually get shot down by the enemy. So uh, we were working, employing the best, employing the best uh, countermeasures that you could imagine. And a lot of those modifications had to be done at night because that was the time where generally the aircraft weren't flying. So we did the majority of the maintenance in it, it during night, like Santa's little elves. And uh, when the guys come in in the morning, you know, poof, there you go. Your aircraft are good to go and go out there and make history. Now, what stopped y'all from flying at night? It's just not a lot of missions going on at night. Just uh, the, the need to move personnel and everything that was going on at that particular time in the Army was more driven towards uh, daylight operations. So, Seems you know, like it would have been safer, though, at night, even though the visibility, of course, would be lower but i mean you wouldn't have to worry as much about being shot down right yeah one would think i mean we still had aircraft that were flying at night and and those were the aircraft that usually would come back shot up so really uh, yeah absolutely yeah so they were more active at night then yeah people were more bold at night when they can't be seen than they would be during the daytime oh well, that's definitely interesting. I mean, make makes a yeah. lot of sense. Well, yeah, during the daytime, you think about it. If you're if you're bold enough to sit out there and shoot at us during the daytime, and we can see you like that, where you're probably not going to be there tomorrow. Yeah, that's definitely true. Oh yeah, definitely, hundred percent. I mean, that that's the man. Anyway, we won't talk, but yeah, that was that's the reality of it. But, uh, but yeah. We had Did you a lot ever of see, like, I know IEDs took out a lot of people. Like, what was some of the Army's tactics, if you don't mind, to, to kind of circumvent that and, 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 you know, be able to get by that challenge? Definitely putting people in the air. That was, that was the biggest. If it didn't need to be moved on the ground, uh, then, then don't move it on the ground. If it does need to be moved on the ground, everything that's moving it needs to be up armored. Uh, and at that point, we were in the process of getting – better uh, armored capable, capable vehicles in the theater. Because, you know, when we went over in 0203, uh, there wasn't anything that was up armored. I mean, best we had were turtleback Humvees. They were just hardback Humvees, but they weren't really ballistic. So it got to the point where the only thing moving off base had to be up armored. MRAPs, mules, things like that. But uh, but my career was aviation, so everything we were doing was in the area anyway. For sure, yeah. but I mean, I'm sure you did have to travel, you know, on land plenty of times, and you know, had to have that risk. Yeah, absolutely. I traveled all over Iraq. Uh, did not get the pleasure of traveling on land in Afghanistan. Uh, everything I did in Afghanistan was in the air, uh, but literally went from Kuwait all the way up to Mosul and back in Iraq. So. I pretty much covered all of the providences in that great place. The first time, second time, didn't didn't hit the roads once. Uh, everything we did was was via air. <clears throat> now, of course, this was uh, after Saddam Hussein had died, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I was in country uh, when Saddam got killed. Um, but yeah, 
Now, did you, you you didn't actually serve before he was actually there? Because I mean, I know you said uh, I think nine eleven had a big part in why you joined too, right? No, not me, brother. I joined in nineteen ninety. Re- okay, so yeah, wow, awesome. that is a long time. Oh yeah, who are you telling? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying. I mean, so so I was just curious. Like you you guys weren't in Iraq. Were were you in Iraq? before Saddam died? Yes. So, I mean, I was just curious what the difference was having to, you know, it kind of, was the adversary different a little bit? Or, you know, what what was the differences? I mean, I, I guess the easiest way to say this is the people that were for Saddam were fighting against us and the people that were not for Saddam were fighting against us, and we just tried to make the best of it. So everybody was fighting against you, it sounds like. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much. Whether they were Shia or Sunni, I mean, they weren't American. Does that make sense? But then again, we've heard stories, too, about, you know, some of them be, being somewhat sympathetic. So, I mean, they're, you know. Uh, come on. I mean, I, I heard Daryl tell that story, and I got it, but you, you the reality of it is, is this, man, you're driving through the desert and, and it's a hundred and I mean, I'll say it, it's a hundred and fuck. I don't even know how else to say it, but, uh, in, in, I remember this little girl standing there and I, and, and you, you know, you tell the soldiers, don't, don't feed the dang kids no matter what. And this little girl, I remember passing this little girl. I mean, she's standing there. There's nothing around her as far as you can see, as far as the eyes can see. You know what I mean? Nothing. Just this little girl standing out there on the asphalt that's 100. I mean, she's barefooted. You know what I mean? That's got to – I mean, heck, I I hate to walk barefoot in the sand at the beach, you know, like in Myrtle Beach. And – That's got to be hot. And this was, yeah, and this was early on, but somebody ended up throwing that little girl something, and like a grenade. No, like like some food or a packet of food or oh, something. Okay. And when you look back, you know, there's like ten kids around that little girl now. You know what I mean? Do you understand? Oh yeah, but I mean, I mean, of course, if they're hungry, of course they're going to be wanting to. Yeah, so that's why, they, that's why they send the little girls out there. That's why they send the little girl out there. She'll never get what you give her. That's why you don't feed them. You don't give them anything. And then that's that's kind of sad, though, when you think about it, dude. Because, I mean, you, you know, what if they're really hungry? I mean, you know, every, everybody should be fed, wouldn't you say? Yeah, you're right. So you feed that little girl and they're going to bust her head open. And then she'll never get what you gave her anyway. I mean, do, a, you ever, do you understand what I'm savage saying? Savage sounds like to me. I mean, just so you're saying that whenever you feed her, all these people are going to come and, and, you know, hurt her to get that food from her. Is that what you're trying to say? That's exactly what I'm saying. Our logic doesn't work in their reality. I mean, we found those people there. They were there when we got there. So there's nothing, you know, it's not like we're even trying to change these people. We're just interacting with these people. Well, what about all the, you know, uh, 
trying to install democracy there. That was the second trip. The first trip was way more savage than that. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was introducing to a new culture for the first time. Yeah, for a lot, yeah, it was brutal. I mean, we were we were burning poop for for over half of it. I remember, you know, that's interesting though, because like you know, the second time it was a little bit more trying to help them out, but like the, the so the first time wasn't really about that really. It was kind of like well, just to survive and and get out there and 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 take care, you know, get rid of this t- t- tyranny, I guess. Well, it was the yeah, it was uh, Saddam Hussein's reign. That was the that was the first one. But, weapons of mass destruction, the whole George Bush yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. We didn't. Afghanistan was where we were bringing in the new government. Okay. The elections, we, we had the elections in Afghanistan, and that was... See, I think a lot of civilians, awesome. those wars run together, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, a lot of people don't understand what, especially the younger crowd. I mean, like me, I'm, I'm only 31, and I know that I, I feel old, but I know that really that's not that old. Of course, you, you've lived a lot longer than me. Hey, you know, you joined the military, you said 1990. Dude, yeah, I was born, that, uh, I was born in '91, so I mean, you got know I'm saying it's like it, it it doesn't register for a lot of us that those were two separate things, like the Gulf War and the uh, you know the battle you know in Afghanistan, the war in Af- you know war on terror are the same for us in a lot different. of ways. Nope, two totally different events. Yeah, and 9/11 it it changed the way our country operated even to this day, and and we had a lot of uh, there was a lot of patriotism that that came from the attacks on our country at 9/11. I remember, you know, seeing the amount of American flags. And up to that point, when I came in the army, I mean, we couldn't. If I was going home, I couldn't be in uniform, and that wasn't. Ask me why. Well, I would assume. I mean, probably because people just loved you to death. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and and think about that. You're being sarcastic, but if the difference between September 12, 2001 and September 12th of 1991 was I couldn't wear my uniform on my way home. And, and I don't mean like from work. I'm talking about like, like I could get off work and drive to North Carolina in, in my uniform. You know what I mean? After 9-11. Before that, I couldn't. And it was for my safety. Really? Yeah, so you're saying America. that you so before 9/11 people wanted to hurt you? Welcome to America. Yeah, absolutely. There was no love for for military prior to 9/11. That's a true story. I mean, do you remember when the Vietnam veterans came back like like Tammy said that they you know, they haven't been welcomed home. Well, you know, until that we still kind of fell into the same soup bowl as they did. Nobody really needed the military until we got punched in the mouth, and then all of a sudden, you know, hey, where do, where is the military guys at? You know, we're like, yeah, hey, we're right here. Let's go. Let's go get them. I mean, and that was the mentality. Let's go get them. You you want to play? Let's go. And and we took it to them full court press. Yeah, you definitely did. I mean, oh yeah, way more than you could ever imagine, and way more than ever be said. But it 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 
it shaped a whole breed class of warriors that this country had never seen. And when those guys got back, not all of those people did 20 years and got out a lot. The, the vast majority of these warriors only did five, six, seven years, but yet they, you know, half of that was in combat. And now they're coming back and they don't have that 20 years of military experience and understanding how to navigate through the system to help them navigate through the VA or whatever. So a lot of them are just out there lost. And so mm-hmm. now I'm saying, was, oh, shit, they need the first sergeant. I mean, that's what they need. Hey, fall in. you know. And then if you're a damn retired first sergeant, then, then do what you can where you're at, and we'll, we'll do the majority of it online. But we got to do something. You know, we just can't sit back now and just let this thing keep going because I suffer from as many inks as my soldiers or probably more. I guarantee you more. I mean, I just, I, it's, and I lived with it. I kept it buried. I, I, I internalized it, you know, and, and what really jacked me up is when I got cancer because then I couldn't internalize everything. I had to, I had something had to seep out to keep me from exploding. Well, that's one thing that we really haven't covered at all, and uh, I think that great transition to that. Part three. I think that's going to be a great part three. <laughs> I guess uh, it sounds like we have reached a conclusion here, but man, I mean, we we definitely had some good conversations here tonight, and uh, can't wait to get part three started because I mean, I know that that's another inspirational thing that you know you you've kind of dealt with and, and are still in the battle, you know, presently. Yeah, yeah. It's a journey. That's what I call it. Well, we definitely appreciate you, Big Al, and uh, definitely some great conversations. Can't wait to, to get back at it. Of course, we're going to talk to you a lot more, uh, just considering you know, you're know you an integral part in this. But uh, thanks for your time, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next time, of course, and we appreciate everybody out there tuning in. Fall in! <laughs>